Hello, and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, John McMahon. Joining me on the other line, she just got back from the carnival, and Danielle, what a beautiful face painting that is. (laughs) It's Danielle Hanley. Thank you, John. I do have a beautiful uh, butterfly in the shape of a dead woman on my face. <laughs> like a um, real horrifying. <laughs> I, I warned Danielle that the, the introduction that was coming was dark, and maybe she didn't quite realize how dark it would become. I think it could have been darker. I think that's the right amount of dark that we want to like. I, there was a darker version of it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> The macabre version. Yes. Uh, we're back for season two of The we're Americans. Uh, we weren't gone that long. Um, we hope you enjoyed the meta episode. We hope you enjoyed Loki, all of our listeners out there. Yeah. I don't know. I think Loki might bring in some more listeners. <laughs> I, I We could use them. Um. <laughs> I mean, we could we could go up from one, yes. <laughs> We have more than we have more than one. I just um, like know that Keller listens. So yeah, exactly. And and Amy, producer. Oh Amy. yeah, that's right, producer um, Amy. Okay, always listens. And other than that, I don't know. My mom still doesn't know how to use a podcast, so <laughs> so she she, doesn't has, listen. she did not listen to the Hanley cast. No, we did not let her listen to the Hanley cast. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, if I ever meet your mom, I'm gonna definitely gonna show her how to listen to the Hanley. You cast. definitely are gonna meet my mom, and uh, please don't do that. <laughs> okay, we'll see. As long as, as long as we need to go see the Eagles, then I will. Oh, uh, she's ready. She's ready to go see the Eagles. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get into this. Yes. So we are talking about American season two, episode Woo-hoo. one, titled "Comrades." Directed by Thomas Schlama and written by Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg. And Danielle, what's our IMDb summary this week? The IMDb summary for season two, episode one is Elizabeth comes back from her injury and straight into what should have been a routine mission, but it goes awry, leaving her and Philip in fear, not only for themselves, but for their whole network and family. Paige's suspicions have only grown in her mother's absence. Meanwhile, Stan continues to fall for the Russian agent who has started to play him. <laughs> yeah. St- I would question started yeah. <laughs> uh, is maybe not the word I would use, but otherwise quite the summary from like, our, our friends at IMDb. Like see episodes one through 13 of our podcast <laughs> in which we are like, uh, who's in charge here? It's I mean, Nina. <laughs> we spent a long time with John in the last Americans episode being going in extensive depth about how Stan is terrible at his yeah. job when it comes to Nina because he is getting played constantly. One million percent. We're going to get to Stan being terrible at his job yet again in this episode, <laughs> but it will come a little bit later. Yes, and the reason for that is because, Danielle, what, what a setup, uh, is because I think we want to start with the question, given that it's the first episode of the season, what strikes you as different about the way season two of this show has started? Yeah, I I think that's a really helpful question to start off with because there is so much that that strikes me as different. And and I think like the most intense thing is the brutality of the of like the images and the and what's happening in the episode. We get the murder of Leanne and Emmett and their family, which is like really like gruesome. Um, Philip's opening scene, like lots of, of, of like guns and kneecaps, which is really painful. We get the, the killing of Sanford Prince. Like there's, there's a lot that's, that's quite brutal, which is, I think the first thing that strikes me as different. 
I think that that is the right way to put it. And there's a way in which this is happening both in the plot and narrative of the show, but also, as you said, in the images themselves. And I think perhaps the thing that captures that the most is that before everything goes to shit with Leanne and Emmett, their fellow Mm -hmm. director at S illegals, they are both families are at the carnival, Leanne and Emmett, Philip and Elizabeth have set this up so they could just see from a distance each other's families. These are like their spy work friends. Yeah. And we see before things go down that the daughter of Leanne and Emma of Leanne and Emmett gets her face painted with this like purple butterfly yeah. um, design and like some glitter and all of that. And then five minutes later, 10 minutes later into the episode, there's a close-up of her along with both of her parents. Each body gets a close-up of like this brutal murder that they have experienced. Yeah. Followed by Elizabeth chasing down Henry and Paige back at the carnival or whatever. And what does Paige have except the exact same purple, blue, glittery butterfly face painting? Yeah, and, like, I I was trying to think about this a little bit. I feel like in season one, we didn't get a lot of, like, happy-go-lucky family stuff at all. So, like, the juxtaposition in this episode between the, like, we're at a carnival, it's a birthday party, it's, like, all of these, like, fun things. Yes. And then just, like, like bleeding kneecaps, uh, people with bullets in their head, like, and and lingering on yeah. the the, like the dead bodies of this like other director desk couple and their family, it really emphasizes for me, that's where the emphasis on the difference from the last season comes in. Yeah. And I think that this is from a kind of meta perspective about the show itself. I suspect one of the things that the creators are potentially seeking to accomplish here is making sure we as audience members do not get too rah-rah invested in in the success of the spy missions because the success of the spy missions ends up in things like Philip shooting the totally innocent, like, teenage cook at the Afghan restaurant or the daughter of Leanne and Emmett, totally unbeknownst to her about the whole spy thing, gets shot. And then, uh, you know, her older brother, their older son, walks in and just utters this blood-curdling scream. Yeah. And so it's all these reminders that we as the audience may be invested in the plot mechanics of Philip and Elizabeth being successful or whatever the situation may be. But the ultimate thing that they are doing is using brutal violence very, very effectively. And that that balloons out and echoes out to all of the people in their secondary tertiary orbits. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's right. And I think that your point about us not getting too invested is it's sort of at every turn, like nothing is safe, right? There's no place for for solace for us in these episodes. It's yeah. it's just about it's about the brutality and and like the brutality illustrates like how high the stakes are. Right. And there's been this escalation of stakes. I'm sure that's a refrain that our one or two listeners are at least two are aware of us talking about before. But the brutality of it this time, Mm -hmm. the as you said, the imagery that's associated with that escalation of stakes or escalation of violence does, I think, differentiate this this time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I think maybe it might be helpful to shift to talk a little bit more about Leanne and Emmett. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, I want to then come back to this opening scene with Philip and the Afghan restaurant after that. But yeah, I mean, what, 
What did you experience the first time we see that, wait a second, Philip and Elizabeth actually have quasi-work friends on this television show? Yeah, I was sort of, I was like so excited. I was like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna get more stories that are like them doing missions with other people. And like, like, I I felt excited for them to like have people that they could talk about their missions with, or even just like the stress of being a spy in America. I don't know. There was something like, I felt like a little bit of relief for them that there were other people out there doing this because I think for me, they're so isolated so much of the time they're even isolated from the residentura right like necessarily so yeah or isolated from one another even right there's a way in which they might be able to open up and and there's a tiny hint of this in elizabeth and leanne's chat on the hood of the car sharing a beer before philip and emmett get there and there's this possibility of again this kind of external to your point commentary on what it is that they're doing that we don't have access to otherwise because it's not a show that is i thankfully i wouldn't want this show to give us a philip and elizabeth internal monologue yeah either of those characters or something like that so there is that possibility as you say of getting to talk about this work and i think one of the things that that the show is doing to display that possibility is this note that they have about how, how easy it is for their respective kids to grow up in America, but those kids don't know how easy they have it. Cause that's an explicit point of conversation. It picks up on some threads from the first season. Yep. Of course, the irony of that statement is that on the surface level, that is utterly and totally true compared to all these people who were about the same age, born right before the Second World War, et cetera, et cetera. But they are also the unbeknowing, unknown children of spies, of KGB spies in America operating secretly, so on and so forth. Yeah, and then also, like, in the same way that we think about how, like, generational trauma is inscribed upon Mm. bodies, right? This is Mm -hmm. something that um, people who have relatives who either perish in or survive the Holocaust, like, are are often talking about. But I think, like, we do see a version of, 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 like, generational trauma inflicted on Paige from, like, the experiences of her, of her parents. I don't think Paige has quite grasped what it, what it is that's causing her or like that is impacting her. But I do think her heightened suspicion, which we'll come to talk about in a moment, her heightened suspicion is like, is a direct response to the world in which she's growing up in, which, you know, Elizabeth and Leanne are like, you know, it's so easy for the kids to grow up in this country. And it's like, sure. It's also not easy for the kids to be, the children of spies. Unless we, the audience, forget that, they will show us later on in the very, the very <laughs> same episode. Show us literally, correct? The same episode, not four episodes down the line, no. but a half hour later that these kids, in fact, of Leanne and Emmett, had nothing easy, right? One of yeah. them is brutally murdered. The other one walks in on the entire rest of his family having been brutally murdered. Totally. And I think like that was, so not only is the, like the scene in which Philip and Elizabeth find uh, Leanne and Emmett and their daughter brutally murdered, like incredibly intense. But I also was just like, so sad that that like promise of friendship 
was was just like like yanked away from them but also from me i wanted to see them have friends friends from work (laughs) yeah because their 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 closest friends at the moment are stan and sandy (laughs) stan who they're literally trying to hide the fact that they're spies from correct Correct. (laughs) so like a huge plot point last season (laughs) so given that desire given that promise of them having friends of them having work friends why do you think it is that the show that the creators of the show offer that to us as audience members or offer that to them as characters and then pulled it away a half hour later i think on the one hand it's like important for us not to forget that Elizabeth and Philip or people like Elizabeth and Philip are not the only ones doing something like this, that this was like a much bigger thing than just the, like the main characters that we're following. So I think like show wise, that's important. Mm -hmm. But I also think that, and we saw this with, and now I'm forgetting her name with with like Philip's ex lover who we're also introduced to like, when other people get into the mix, it like complicates things. And especially when there's like emotional attachment, right? Like this is such a huge theme of the first season, which I suspect will like be recurring. Like emotional attachments make the work, uh, make the work of spies even more complicated. And it's already Chris Amador's grand, grand theory, right? (laughs) Oh, RIP pour one out. Gone but not forgotten. Here but not. Yeah, I, I think the I think that that final point about attachments is right because the direction I was thinking about in terms of that question was that the show by showing that and then taking it away from us, taking it away from Philip and Elizabeth, only furthers that kind of both practical and professional, but particularly emotional isolation that yeah. they have that they really do not have any other people. Even Claudia, not that I they ever trusted Claudia to no. be relied on, but even Claudia is out of the picture seemingly yeah. as of this well. episode. It's <laughs> <laughs> a knowing, also a knowing, gone a knowing but not laugh, forgotten. <laughs> a knowing laugh from, from Danielle. Um, but we'll just get that to, we'll get to it. <laughs> they they just don't have anybody else, yeah. right? And I think the that there's that, and I also wonder from a more meta perspective. If it was just a matter of we would come to know too much or think about them as characters too externally if there were these other people that gave us that additional standpoint. Yeah, I think that's right. And I also think just to build on that, what's so important about this show and like for this show is the like complexity of the dynamics between Philip and Elizabeth and, and the more other people there are the more we get pulled away from that yeah and and i don't think of someone like martha as pulling away that's just further complicating it correct right but like friends that are not a mission (laughs) is not the same kind of like let's keep the focus on our our main pair and then like see what else is going on yeah hypothetically the other people they could have emotional investments with in their lives are their children henry and Paige. but both of the two kids have moments of questioning or isolation yeah in this episode as well so do you want to start with Paige or do you want to start with henry let's start with Paige because 
Well, I just think Paige is more interesting. <laughs> so does the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it helps that she's older, right? But. Right, 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 right. Um, no, so with Paige, we get... So in the last episode of season one, we get her going down and, like, double-checking to see that the laundry is actually folded because her mom yeah. said it was folded. Correct. And I was like, thank God she folded that laundry. <laughs> I'm really scared. I'm like afraid of them being made, right? So, which is maybe also why I had such a visceral reaction to the, the stuff with Leanne and Emmett. Um, but Paige, following up on that, gotta check the laundry, is like going through her mom's suitcase and literally says to Henry, I'm going through mom's stuff and then doubles back and she's like, I'm, you know, putting mom's yep. stuff in the laundry, which I thought yep. was was interesting and telling. In that particular scene, one of the things that I really, really loved about that scene was that they filmed Paige and then they scored the scene exactly the same way that they film and score spycraft scenes of Philip and Elizabeth, right? The camera shots, the angles, the attention to detail, and then the music that they're playing is exactly the same in that scene as it is whenever there's a silent mission that Philip and Elizabeth are out conducting. The child becomes and grows into what the parents are doing. Even if Paige is only barely conscious of what is happening, the show is willing to give her the status of she gets that same um, kind of like filmic representation of of what's happening. My mesis, if you will. I know you will. I know you will. You know that I will. But also that's a great observation and one that I had not picked up on. But I think like, um, I know last season I really harped on Paige knowing what was up in Danielle Dossier. I've like come off of that a little bit, but I'm, I'm fascinated to see like where Paige's explorations go. And I, I thought, so the other thing we get with Paige, right, is like she walks in on her parents um, 69ing, which is got What a, like, wild thing to have happen on Lock cable. your door. <laughs> yes, lock the door, A. But, I mean, I just appreciate that the show... They knew rec- that you were going to say ...recognizes <laughs> that Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell are hot, <laughs> and that, like, there is this intense sexual relationship between mm-hmm. Philip and Elizabeth, and they will do what they can to show that and represent that yeah. in uh, a way in this particular that is both hilarious and also very serious and meaningful and intentional. Yeah, well, and I think, like, what we... To me, like, what their sexual relationship tells us it tells us about where they are in their emotional relationship too Mm -hmm. because they're not like we sort of meet them and they start sleeping together in a real way right and then there's this this like uncoupling or coming apart and then now they're coming back to it so i think it's like to me that that that's meant to demonstrate like that they really are on this path to like being together again yeah Um... literally (laughs) <laughs> literally um i mean like there's more there's more to say about this scene right i didn't realize that people in their late 30s early 40s still 69 like they were 19 <laughs> years old um great ass shot of matthew reese appreciated um 
And while it was, I think, seriously depicting the sexual passion that they have for one Mm -hmm. another, the show is also willing to totally play it for laughs at the breakfast table the next morning with the dialogue, with the like reaction shots of Paige to things that are said. Uh, Just they're just to the bacon, to the bacon. bacon. That was honestly, I almost put bacon for minor character of the week because that was honestly like perhaps my favorite shot in all of the episodes we've seen so far. (laughs) Just like a slow-mo bacon bite. And I don't eat bacon, but I really appreciated it. I'm I'm a vegetarian, so bacon kind of disgusts me. And I couldn't, I can't argue with you on bacon (laughs) as minor character. That is shot of the, of the whole series. But I think, like, just to, to to come back to Paige for a minute, her, her like, curiosity whistle has been wet, right? Like, Correct. she's not – yes, like, she might not barge into her parents' bedroom anytime soon, but, like, I don't see her, like, curiosity being receding at all. Like – And neither do Philip and Elizabeth. They have the realization after that that – oh, we don't know if this is the first time yeah. she's ever snooped on us. Yeah. We should have been paying more attention. Paige yeah. has grown up more than we realized. Yeah. Elizabeth also commented on that when she got back from her yes. visiting her sick aunt, quote unquote. I can't. <laughs> and then they say, I think, I forget if it's Elizabeth or Philip who says something to the effect of who knows what goes on in that head of hers. Elizabeth um, says it. Elizabeth yeah. says that. And that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> like they really do not know. Yeah, so I'm excited to see, like, what this opens up into, Um, although I am stressed. Now I'm not suspicious of Paige. Now I'm just stressed out for when she finds, when she figures it out. Elizabeth Elizabeth also very stressed out, right? It's, you know, another instance of structurally this episode raising the emotional stakes for us as the viewer and then visually doing those stakes where Elizabeth runs back to the carnival, finds Henry immediately. Then there she's frantically looking. Henry's like, who cares? She's fine. They're looking for Paige who again had the exact same face painting as I believe was Amelia was their daughter that was murdered. Yeah. And I would just say just like the last thing on the like Elizabeth page uh, situation is like, I think also something that's happening is Elizabeth is, I think, a bit mad at herself for not recognizing this yes, before. You're right? right about this. So I think like, because even though I, Elizabeth doesn't think herself a good mother, she thinks herself a great spy. And right. I think this is like information gathering that she has fully missed. Speaking of fully missing, uh, <laughs> nice. we have, Very we nice. have, we have Henry Henry in this episode gets a he's here. Um, <laughs> he has a birthday party, which of course is cover for Phil to do some spying on Stan. Primarily, that's yep. the first thing to have to happen. He gets a telescope as a gift, not at all symbolic of any sort of spying or looking at things that are not visible to the naked eye symbolism happening whatsoever. Henry, of course, isn't like does not the most want boring it. gift that I ever <laughs> got in my literally life. Literally mean about it. <laughs> very, very mean about it. <laughs> um yeah, I mean like I so in terms of of Henry, yeah, we get the symbolism with him. 
I'm also like, okay, when is that telescope going to come into play? It's obviously going to come into play in some way. Who knows how? But the other thing is like that, that I found fascinating. Does the telescope fit in the dossier? We have to like get a box to accompany the dossier. Listen, it's like, it's, Oh, I was just going to make a Marvel reference. I'm like, you would not get it. I wouldn't, but I think now <laughs> this is, we're also now a Marvel podcast. So I think you get to make the reference. Well, there, so like the whole thing within Ant-Man is like, you can like shrink things down, right? Ant-Man. I'm aware of this actually. So I was going to say, it's like, it's like the lab in Ant-Man. You just like shrink it down and put it in the dossier. Look, I caught that. I think Ant-Man was in that opening scene from the Avengers and like knocks the brief, the briefcase or something and of Loki. No. Yeah. Wow. Look, look, look Sorry. I'm me. just, I'm floored. <laughs> also, I mean, I... you're just so good at details <laughs> 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 that it's like a great reminder of like how you're like, you're such a good close reader and like close reader of TV shows, but also text. So it's just, of course you caught that Ant-Man was in the first scene in Loki. Good job. The, pro- the problem is that I don't want to do anything else. I just want to observe details and be like, they mean something. I don't know. Throw my hands in there. And air, I'm the so. opposite. I'm like, will somebody do the close reading for me? And then I can theorize, like I could theorize for days. It's almost like we were meant to See podcast, right? <laughs> friend, think together. Exist. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my god. Um, The telescope is definitely in the dossier, like, to be continued with that. But the other point that I wanted to make about Henry is that I think it's incredibly interesting the way that, like, so if Paige is becoming more suspicious and curious, Henry is now, like, in this episode, Henry literally becomes, like, a pawn, right? He becomes cover. And so the kids are now, like, part of the, part of, like, the operation, which they always were at least a little bit, but this is the first, like, active, like, okay, where Emmett says, just take Henry, and you see Philip falter, like, he doesn't want to. Yeah, and gives Emmett this, like, well, we have a rule that we don't involve our kids in the mission. Yeah, but, so, I thought that this was interesting for a couple of reasons. One, just the sheer, like, okay, now the kids are in, again, the ratcheting up of the stakes. But the other thing is, I really expected Elizabeth to freak out. Yeah. And she doesn't, and I think that's sort of meant to show us, like, that they're they're in a good place, but that they're also both damaged, right? They're both reeling Correct. from the stuff that's happened. Correct. Definitely. So yeah. Oh, the kids. If we can briefly have a quick note back to the opening scene. Mm-hmm. A, we get one of the wildest Philip disguises <laughs> so far, where he is like a southern <laughs> CIA so, or private funder. I think uh, private funder, but like Mujahideen. So wild, in fact, that like the music in the car is like hype music for the costume. I love that. <laughs> Look, Danielle. Oh, I don't pay. I don't do the close reading. I don't pay attention to the details. <laughs> but picked up on the fact that a country song that Philip, <laughs> I was playing a country song in the radio as cover slash hype. 
before he went on this mission as the like private funder of the Mujahideen. Listen, I learned from the best. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one listener or host thinks that I am the best at uh, any TV observations. Uh, so. I do. So I appreciate that. <laughs> but I mean, so we get a, this is just hilarious until the moment when it really becomes not hilarious whatsoever. There's oh the performance <laughs> that Philip is putting on in this character. There's the way in which he's buttering up this person who is in the U.S. who's connected to the Mujahideen and then a family member or a kind of comrade, to go back to the uh, title of the episode, who is there serving as translator, but also serving as kind of ideologue. We're going to kill all the Soviets, et cetera, et cetera. The banter they have is like really funny in a certain way. And then the younger guy gives Philip his knife knife that he used to kill his first Soviet. It was the first kill he ever made. And it's a really fucking intense blade with this very intense carved handle. Super intense. And then, of course, it all turns so violent, right? Philip kills the head guy, Mm -hmm. to your point from earlier, shoots the other guy in the kneecap, then decides and says the KGB is everywhere. You're not going to succeed at all. Yeah. Um, Obviously, historical irony knows that he's wrong about (laughs) that. Um, And then ends up shooting him in the head when other guy makes a, like, move to take him down. Yeah. And then runs into the kitchen, checks everything out, seems quite relieved that there's no one else there until he sees the teenage cook, like, cowering in the corner, tells him it's going to be okay to just settle down. Yeah. Takes two steps away, and we don't see him make the shot initially. But we see the... Exactly. The blood spray, the body falls really fucking brutal way to open the season for Philip Jennings. And he's clearly shook by it immediately after he's clearly shook by it the next day or whenever he and Elizabeth talk about it. Yeah. And I thought just the sheer brutality of it and the speed at which these brutal acts happen. It's like, it's sort of like all fun and games at the table until the knife comes out. Mm-hmm. And then it it like it escalates in such an intense way where it's like guns, blood, knees, everybody's dead. It was really it was really a lot. And again, I think part of why I paid attention to the music is because quickens to turn it off. Right? He like he can't turn it off fast enough. Yeah. Yep. And even as he's having that breakdown in the moment, mm-hmm. his attention to detail is so yeah pointed. Like he remembers the wig gets knocked off or pulled off of his head. He remembers to pull the wig, like readjust it back on and get his cowboy hat back on yeah. before he leaves the restaurant. Um, and there's this line of dialogue earlier that's like, it's good to have the same enemy, which is portentous dialogue uh we can say oh my so god just the, the like the detail of the show and the scene the detail that philip still pays even as he is so shook um afterwards is is something yeah and it and just like you said like it really it like sets the season off on a on both an intense note but also kind of a nervous one like there's yes. nervous energy energy in this and and I'm not exactly sure if this is the right word but the word that came to mind when he's engaging with with the Afghans is like 
there's something, there's some desperation about Philip's actions. For sure. That I don't necessarily think was always present in the previous season. So I'm interested to see, like, if we're, if part of, like, what is directing the conversation that you and I are having is this question about what's new. It does seem like not not only desperation, but the level of desperation seems to be uh, something new here. And the most desperate character in all of this, at least outwardly, is Sanford Prince, who gets killed in this episode. Yeah, yeah. We see him at the FBI office. He's been pestering Stan incessantly, it appears. Somebody says, well, he's here again. Stan kind of gives him the final, like, this is, that's not happening. You didn't give us actionable info, mm-hmm. whatever. And so Stanford apparently goes to confront the colonel himself. <sighs> and the colonel, of course, has this well-put-together story about how he saw Stanford Cummings, who got the gun, and he was ranting and raving or whatever. Shoots him twice in the head. And even Stan is like, did you really need to kill shots for this? Yeah. So we get a, as the show often does, a line of dialogue that is very, very much bound to the situation, but potentially comments on what it is we're watching. Yeah. And if we're reading this through the lens of desperation, right? Sanford, obviously desperate, desperate for money, de- desperate for like, um, for some sort of legitimacy, like, yeah. but also like the Colonel, incredibly desperate right because he's actually the one who has betrayed the the state in in a in a much more like visceral and material way than than sanford yeah i think we'll have more to say about the colonel later on but danielle if we've been focusing on what has changed in this first episode of the second season we should probably ask the obverse question which is what has stayed the same yeah and I think like a couple of things have stayed the same. To me, the 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 biggest thing that has stayed the same is like the Nina Stan dynamic. Yep. Yep. <laughs> like, well, she's still running him and he's still an idiot. So <laughs> Yes, and yes. Any particular ways that that dynamic was depicted this time that stood out to you? Oh, the movie where he's like <laughs> trying to find a movie for her. I was like, please again, like to to harp on desperation, a different kind of desperation, yeah. right? Like good point. That that Stan is is always embodying this this like different kind of desperation. Right. And so goes with the French lieutenant's woman to <sighs> show to Nina. And Nina's not having any of it in very consistent Nina fashion. Was, gives Stan questions that, in fact, tells Stan if he really thought about it, everything that is happening. But he is so headed over heels and Nina is so good at what she is doing that he doesn't get it. Right. Do you believe the actress or she's too much of what a man thinks a woman uh, is or what a man wants her to be, which is, of course, exactly the thing that Nina is doing to Stan and that Stan has in his head done to Nina. Exactly, exactly. And that Stan is, like, just painfully unaware of, right? There's, like, the self re- like, talk about someone who does not engage in self-reflection. It is Stan. <laughs> I'm gonna, to reuse a joke that I've now 
done several times. Like men will literally like get a <laughs> stolen copy of the French Lieutenant's Woman instead of going to therapy. Honestly, a great joke and <laughs> always apt for Stan. So always apt for Stan. Stan is the one that needs to be the most in therapy so far through the seasons. Yeah, and I forget if it's this season or the next season, but therapy itself kind of becomes a bit of a our therapy-like things become a part of the actual plot dynamics and characterization. Looking yeah. forward. Okay. We we uh, There's one other thing that stays the same with Nina, if yeah. I may, yeah, before yeah. we move on, and that is she is willing to just totally make fun of Stan to his uh, face, yeah. right? She goes with Anna <laughs> Karenina um, and is like, have you ever read it? And Stan says, oh, I've never, I know it, but I've never had the pleasure. He just gives just gives Stan the like look of death that he's like, what, a, what an idiot, what a rube. She's right. <laughs> Correct. She's right. I think, like if Stan's the one that needs to go to therapy the the most, Nina's the one who's like reads of people is spot on. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. And also it's very it's very Nina being Soviet and her orientation yeah. to the yeah. world and to others. And then, like, of course she's going to draw on Stan has brought this, you know, I I've never seen the movie. The French lieutenant's woman stands like, this is Meryl Streep. This is amazing. And Nina's like, yeah, Anna Karina, have you ever heard of it? <laughs> um, you know, one of the great, the great works of literature, Tolstoy, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my God. I love it too much. Um, okay. So something else that has stayed the same, I would say is, uh, is Martha, right? Yes. Like Martha is still there. They, Elizabeth and Philip like get back. There's, there's, there's a lot of frenzy after the carnival and this and that. And Elizabeth's like, you have to go see Martha tonight, right? Like tonight's one of the nights that you're with Martha. So like something else that has really stayed the same and is like weirdly grounding. That's, I think that's exactly the right way to put it because Clark slash Philip kind of opens up to Martha in a way that as is typical for him both incredibly honest and revealing and also utterly manipulative and continued yes. facade building yes. at the very same time in this brief, short, final scene we get of the two of them. I don't know what to make of Clark and Martha. I want them to be in the dossier in some way, but I haven't quite figured out how, so... I mean, you, you're on record as saying that things don't end well for Martha. Oh, they definitely don't, but I'm like... Now I'm interested in like how they get to the not ending well. I just see Martha wanting to be like, "Ooh, I want to be a spy," <laughs> and she kind of does, right? She's the yeah. one to put the pen in the office, and yeah. the and the show makes sure to remind us both in the previously on, but also yeah. we get a in half second shot of the recorder pen, and then that cuts to Martha, that then pans to her purse to zoom in on the yeah. recording device itself. Um, other, anything else about Clark and Martha that you wanted to, to get out there? I don't think so. We'll, we'll have more to talk about with the two of them. Uh, uh, the only thing I'll add is that this is a well-constructed episode of TV and mm -hmm. that they're able to both do a, let's check in on all of the major characters and relationships that exist even as we're devoting a large portion of this time to instigating some of the larger serialized plots of yeah. season two and introducing Leanne and Emmett and having them do a whole but abbreviated arc that leads to their brutal murder. A literal whole, but it's in, also like in the first in, 20 in minutes. Episode. Yeah. It's yeah. like the Leanne and Emmett stuff happens so quickly 
that I think that was also like, it was a, just a little bit of whiplash. I was like, they have friends. The friends are dead. Yep. What do we do? Perhaps the last outstanding question of the main discussion mm-hmm. is something that I'm interested in hearing from you, whether you consider this to be, and I know, I, I think I know where the end, what the answer is going to be. Is the Elizabeth and Philip marriage something that has stayed the same or something that is different here in season two? I think that it's something that's different. Like, I think that, that it has had to change because of the, uh, like, the dynamics that unfolded last season, right? Like, I think that it, because now they're, I guess there's, like, a way to read it where it's, like, okay, well, they went back to, like, being together, but I think this version of together, to me, feels like, like, a progression on an arc instead of a return to the beginning. That's a good way to put it, and we get both visual and dialogue markers of this in the episode. The the kiss that they share in front of the kids is, like, a very passionate, intense kiss that... At first, is just to, you know, because their cover is that they're going on a date because mom's back. Yeah. And so they kiss to, like, gross the kids out and get them out of their hair. A, Paige is like, I'm so happy you two are, like, kissing and seem to love one another again. But anyway, she regrets that feeling later on, of course. Um, So they have this passionate kiss that at first is just cover, but then it's clear that they are both like, wow, that was really intense and meaningful. We have them having sex when Paige walks in. We have Elizabeth saying, you know, we're better and saying it in a way that is both doubting, but also seemingly somewhat certain at the same time. We see as well instances in which Philip expects Elizabeth to be mad about something that happened, right? Whether it was the refund to, or covering the refund to stand for the trip that he never took, which A, like, if you're going through a travel agency, maybe, or maybe like talk to Sandy before you pay however much money it took for those plans. Stan, Stan, I also W-Y-D. knew that that was not a real refund the minute Correct. it like comes Correct. in. So Philip is semi-defensively explaining that and Elizabeth is just like, good job. And then Philip apologizes for bringing Henry into the mission and said, I should have done it by myself, even if I, that meant more exposure. And Elizabeth is like, not happy about it, but you did the right thing. So these ways yeah. in which they are relating to one another in a slightly different way. There are parts of Philip and Elizabeth's marriage that are, that look the same, but I think on mm. the whole, mm. the marriage mm-hmm. is now different. Good. That's the answer I wanted us to get to, which was, I thought the joke was supposed to be that I posed that question to you and you just said both and, and we, oh, uh, but we I got really, there in the end. You so know, I'm really, you went with something more substantive. I'm also trying to be conscious of how much both and we have because Keller made fun of us. Exactly my thoughts. <laughs> exactly my thoughts. A beautiful note to end the main discussion of this episode on. Awesome. And get to the segments. Let's get into some segments. So we've got Bard Nostalgia for the Unremembered 80s. We're in season two. Some of our season two guests we think might know the reference. Um, Danielle still has not been allowed Literally to Literally no idea. Uh, and I tried to like brainstorm it with Keller on his episode. And he was like, I have no time for hipster bullshit. I was like, me neither. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I knew John was not going to be no help in this, in this area. There's not so much. There is a musical reference. Actually, let's start there. That we get. One of the new characters in season two, Oleg Burov, Oleg Igorovich Burov, and he is listening to Rod Stewart. So he does not hear Arkady multiple times being like, Oleg, get the hell in here to my office. They have to go visit him. So Rod Stewart, 
Um, that's he is he is an epitome of an '80s musical artist, if you ask me. <laughs> I just like I forget what video it is, but it was like a Rod Stewart video that was oftentimes played on pop up video on VH1. But it's like a video. I remember this. I don't remember what video it is either, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Where he keeps about. turning away from the camera yep. because mm-hmm. he doesn't know the words to his song. <laughs> <laughs> Papa Video is real remembered nostalgia for the 90s. One million percent. Um, yeah. I will, anytime that there is a pop-up video adjacent reference, I will make sure to bring it up. Yeah. And now it's like if you play the Spotify app like on a Roku or whatever, sometimes they do like trivia about the song as it comes up. So that's the thing. I don't I you know, I don't think I want I don't think I want song trivia. But only only pop only if it's in pop up video. Form. Yeah, exactly. I only want like and I one time wrote to VH one because I forget which Red Hot Chili Peppers video it is. It might be under the bridge. Some Red Hot Chili Peppers video from sure. the nineties. Um, says that um, the liver is the largest organ in the in the body and or that has the most surface area. And I was like, that's incorrect. I know from AP Bio that it's the skin. <laughs> there we go. They never Was changed there, it. No, no correction issued? Come on, VH1. They never changed it. Anyway, um, other, <laughs> other, I feel like this uh, bar of nostalgia for the unremembered 80s is like, this is... This is your domain today. Okay. There are some movie references. We already talked about French Lieutenant's Woman, uh, which Stan shows to Nina. Ben is like, sure, Sandy, I'm trying to, I still want this relationship. I'll go out to movie night with you and your friends. What are we going to see? Turns out they're seeing the exact same movie. And Stan is like, what the fuck is happening to me? I also was like, this is too much for me. <laughs> I'm like, it is, it is extra. It is definitely extra for the. At least the... make it a remake or some something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> then we also get so a Stan is just like this is a funny thing that he does is go to apparently the FBI is now pursuing movie piracy as okay. part of their regular. Uh, ambit and he goes to the person who runs this program and takes a pirated. VHS tape of of the French lieutenant's woman in order to show it to Nina. And then the other movie that he comments on is Mad Max, so the original Mad Max. Um, and there's Possible something Gibson. funny about the show referencing a post-apocalyptic hellscape, <laughs> severe ice, human isolation, as the movie call out in the episode. So I noted that. A good call. A good call. We've, we've got as well in Bar Asada for the Unremembered 80s, Elizabeth's back at not only at home, but at the office and uh, Stavos and the rest of the team have made a banner (laughs) out of extreme dot printer, 80s style printers saying welcome back at the travel agency that's just hanging up there. There's cake that Stavos tries to give a whole bunch of cake to fill up for the kids Great love, times by I love, everybody. I love cake. The The printer banner just reminded me of, like, having the print shop on our, like, old, old computer and just, like, making greeting cards. And I was thinking about this recently on a run. I was like, man, kids today, like, they don't know what it's like to just, like, make their own greeting cards. People don't do that anymore. Very true. <laughs> you had to, like, know how to fold it. <laughs> 
mm-hmm. would print out mm-hmm. on two different sides. Oh, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I know. So I have, I've got that nostalgia. Great. I'm glad you could borrow some of that for this episode. Totally and then the last thing I'll point out is wig slash outfit check. And I think that Phillips... Air Force security yeah. outfit is the most 80s out of all yeah. of the many extremely 80s fits that he has tried on for this episode. Yeah, I think that that's right. Um, Philip really does do an 80s costume well, and like, uh, it could be the 70s, but it's like just one level up, not. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. That was all I had in Bar Nostalgia. Anything else we should add? No, I think that's like, that, I think that does it for us. Okay. Let's dig into minor character of the week. John, who's your minor character this week? Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to talk <laughs> about this minor character. This is a momentous episode of The Americans, not only because it's the first one of season two, not only because there's this extreme amplification of violence, not only because we see all of the things that we talked about in the 50 minutes so far this episode. It's also the introduction of everybody's favorite minor character in the Americans, <laughs> male robot. I just want to say that John said this to me when we were planning, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> what, what did, did I, I'm like, did I miss a character named male robot? Like, who is this character? Please explain. Male robot is the moniker that is, after Daniel said that, I realized given to the contraption that has mechanized the delivery of intra or inter-office mail and FBI headquarters. It's this gigantic rolling electronic thing with different slots and components that are locked and coded or whatever. And Martha hears the like odd beeping noises, like it's R2-D2 out here in FBI offices. Look at you and... on the weekend that Obi-Wan drops. Nice. Yeah. You know me, Daniel. I'm, I'm full of full of references. And so Martha looks kind of nonplussed about this uh, male situation. So she goes out, she retrieves the mail. Mail robot continues on their merry little way through the predetermined tracks of the FBI office. Mail robot becomes a recurring character slash bit in the Americans. And so Danielle, I wanted to honor male robot here today. I love it. I, I love it. I mean, listen, I love a droid. So male robot, BB-8, R2-D2. Great. (laughs) All the same. Yeah. Done and done. All right. My male robot, we salute you, male robot. We will continue to pay attention to you. Danielle, let's go to the dossier. What is in there here at the beginning of season two? Okay. Here's what's in the dossier at the beginning of season two. Claudia's in the dossier. (laughs) (laughs) I am just like still suspicious of Claudia. We didn't get to this in the main discussion, but I think it bears uh, some referencing here where, you know, um, Emmett's like, oh, by the way, Claudia says hi or some version of that. Gives her regards. Yeah, gives her regards. Thank you. Right. She's not like, hey, what's up? Um, Claudia gives her regards and it it's like clearly shakes Elizabeth. Oh, for sure. And it's like, what is Claudia giving her regards for? They literally hate each other. I just think that like Claudia is trying to set. And I know that the that the last episode ended with like us realizing that Claudia has been pushing back against Moscow and she's like been trying to protect them and this and that. But I just like, I don't trust that woman. <laughs> I just like don't trust her. I have shifted all of my distrust for for Paige, which like there's there is Paige has still got some suspicion enveloping her, 
But my like sheer distrust is for Claudia. I don't like it. Uh, something's up. Don't say hi to me. Get out of here. Out of sight, out of mind. But you're just like trying to creep back in. Like, I don't love it. <laughs> I cannot say anything about this Daniel Dossier entry, like all Daniel Dossier entries. That's fine. Claudia's coming back, and we're she's going to be the big bad in the next season, or some version of that. <laughs> All right, bold bold stances in Daniel Dossier this week. Who else is in the Daniel Dossier? Listen, this is a little bit of a left field entry into the Dossier. <laughs> I would agree with that statement. And I believe he might have been our minor character of the week, like episodes sure ago. Was. Sure was. But that dude who picked up Paige and Henry and like tried to get them to feed ducks. And, like, maybe kidnap them. Like, I just think he's coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Like, hackles are up. Just, like, waiting for him to, like, be a driver. Like, I don't know. Like, be the guy who killed Emmett and Leanne or something like that. Like, I don't know. That guy's coming back. We've got our we've got our eye out for that guy. It's a real tinfoil hat situation in the dossier. (laughs) But you know what? As we tradition to glass, Danielle... There may be some more tinfoiling happening. You pointed this out, so I want to turn this over to you, but you identified perhaps the most paranoid we have seen Elizabeth. Totally. Elizabeth is, is so paranoid. She's going around, she's locking windows. Like she's like, she's everything's heightened. And like, granted her friends did just get brutally murdered and they found them. And then she thought maybe her daughter was going to get murdered. So like, fine. Agents got made, but I think it was like, there's something about her almost getting killed, right? Like surviving this gunshot wound, which was obviously quite bad. Yeah. And then, which we like when, uh, in the, in the sex scene earlier before Emmett and Philip barge in, right? Like as, uh, Air Force security, Air Force security which like <laughs> what idiot thinks that there's that. But anyway, um, like, there is a tension drawn to her scar. Right. Leanne like kisses the scar, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so like, of course there's that, that's sort of like underlying, but then there's the more immediate events of everything that happened at the carnival in the hotel. And, but Elizabeth is just like, she's so on edge and we haven't seen her this on edge before. The extent to which the end of season one hangs over her as she deals with all the shit that's going, that has happened already and will happen this season is I think a kind of common source of emotional cloudiness and paranoia for her throughout the season. Yeah. And I like, it makes sense, but I just, I think it's worth mentioning here. And I, I sort of want us to continue to pay attention to it because I think as you've said, this episode sets up a lot of dynamics that like are are worth att- perhaps attending to further, and I suspect this is going to be another one. Yeah, and this also wraps around to the end of, or you know, completes a circle from the end of season one, where she, the only other time we see her perhaps being almost this uh, kind of outlooky towards mm-hmm. their surroundings at home is right before the dual missions with the colonel and picking up the setup audio from the Weinberger house. Yeah. Right. So she was like checking the windows, looking outside during that time as well. Oh, 
So we're going to, we're going to keep attending to it. Um, something else that I think worth mentioning in glass is that I found it really interesting that the Colonel is the one that's cleared, uh, right. This is what Stan says to Sanford yeah. when Sanford shows up and is demanding his money. And he says the Colonel's cleared. Um, but like your information was bad and it's actually the, the exact opposite. Yeah. Is this another Stan is bad at his job situation for you or some other dynamic? I think it's that, but I think it's, it's, it's Stan is bad at his job, but it's also not like a, this isn't a funny Stan is bad at his job, which is often what it is. It's like, oh, Stan's bad at his job because like Nina's blinded him. This is like, oh, Stan's bad at his job and people can die. Yeah. I don't read it quite the same way. I think this is more a, Colonel is really good at spying situation than it is Stan is bad at his job. Oh, interesting. Because, like, it's not just Stan who kind of vouches for, like, this is closed, we should trust the, you know, trust that the Colonel's fine and it's Stanford that was wrong all along. Like, Gad is fully with Stan and we don't have to worry about the Colonel. Um, And in some ways, Gad is more considering this episode over than Stan is. Stan's still yeah. like lingering on the previous season, the end of the previous season's materials and identikit drawings and these sorts of things. Yeah, no, I think that, that I think that that's right. That's an interesting way to to think about it and and appropriate, I think. Um and I also like the the note of of Gad being like, "Okay, like this is done. We're moving on." And he's I think trying to pull Stan along with him. Totally. And Stan is unwilling to, he's really, he's really fixated, which I think tells us a lot about, um, it tells us a lot about Stan. It tells it, it sort of helps fill out some of the Nina Stan dynamic a little bit, this fixation. Yes. But I think it also helps us understand the point at which Stan fixates with regard to his relationship with Sandy is a point that she is far beyond and he has not moved on from. An excellent point. That was where I wanted to go to next as well, is that you're you're exactly right that explains one of the dynamics that would make it really hard to be married to Stan. Among all of the other bullshit, this is certainly one of them. And and, and Stan even, this is the tiny bit of self-awareness that he has, although he doesn't particularly take it seriously. As he says something to the effect of, well, I've never been good at waiting, sir, to Gad. Yeah. And like, ain't that the truth, Stan? We know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> um, All right, Danielle, we get a new character in this episode. And mm-hmm. I don't feel bad saying that he's going to become like a, an important character in the show. Makes sense. And that is Oleg Igorovich Borov, played by Kosta Ronin. And so, Danielle, what do you make of Oleg here at his introduction? Other than the bad haircut. I was just going to say, like, honestly, the, the, like, one thing about him that stuck out was his haircut. (laughs) I'm, I'm excited to see, I think, like, it's less about him as a character and more, I'm excited to see the dynamic that arises between, um between him and Arcadi, right? Like I'm excited to see what happens because we didn't get so much of Vlad, but there was like, that was a fun dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, I think just in terms of the show, it could be a fun dynamic, but also like it, 
I'm excited to see like what kinds of complications arise because of like what's going on with Nina. That's a perceptive reading and Arcadi's even seemingly somewhat worried about that already. Yeah. He's, he's kind of laughing off Oleg as like a fail son. Arkady doesn't have the word, maybe fail son doesn't exist in the Russian language, <laughs> um, but he calls Oleg a fail son. Like his dad is deputy transportation minister and Arkady is like, these people will be the end of us, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like nepotism in the Soviet bureaucracy. But also there's this way in which even though Arkady clearly, obviously far outranks on some technical level, Oleg, yeah. I think the complications that you're pointing to can come from the fact that Oyeg has this personal connection. Exactly. He's in the directorate having to do with technology and science. And also that Oyeg presents himself as kind of a little bit too cool for school. He's listening to Rod Stewart. He's got some fancy ass loafers on. Like he is, he is willing to go his own way, even from his introduction as a character. Yeah, uh, th- that was the the other thing. Like, I'm the Rod Stewart. While it's like also funny, also I think says a little bit of something about about this character. So, so yeah, I'm I'm not suspicious of him. Yeah, I'm excited for whatever happens. Me too. Me too. That's right. Oh yeah, Oleg is when it becomes another like great if not primary, although at times primary, secondary character in this show. I'll take it. Also in Gloss this week, we have <laughs> so much spycraft. So much spycraft. Daniel, what was your favorite spycraft moment Listen, of this episode? I love a moment where it's where we get like a sheet of coded numbers and we have to like <laughs> decipher the message and it's like four words, but the sheet has like thousands of numbers on it it like really brings me back this is such a weird reference but in elementary school my friends and i i didn't have very many friends but the ones i had we used to write out numbers like one to a thousand and it really reminds me of like that so similar stakes yeah similar stakes uh international spying. um but yeah i love like the the deciphering of, of number sheets like i loved it so much what about you well, if I can build on that, one of the things, again, this is Phil and Elizabeth, even if they're shook, are great in a crisis, is that Philip is like, oh, I better make sure I go get their decoding book from the hidden pouch in the suitcase <laughs> so that I can decipher this message that was handed to me in what was my favorite spycraft moment of the episode. Yeah. And that is this brush pass, as they call it, between... Uh, between Philip and Leanne and Emmett's agent, who will, I don't feel bad saying this, will soon become kind of Philip and Elizabeth. The new agent. Claudia. Yeah. No, no, not the new Claudia. The new like person that they're running. Oh, the new person they're running. Oh, sorry, it, sorry, sorry. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, you know, the, the spycraft itself of, or you have to wear this hat, you need to have your kid with you. So his handlers who are walking some feet back from him don't recognize it. They're not going to see anything. Leanne has to time at the exact right moment her pulling her two kids away from the game that they're playing at the carnival to stand in between this guy yeah, and yeah, his yeah, handlers. Yeah. It's elaborate. Uh, his security people. Just like it's so elaborate and yeah. yet so simple at the same time. Like they literally brush hands as he hands him the wadded up paper um, that, that Philip slips in, 
what is one of his best outfits of the of this <laughs> of the show so far? I agree with that. Definitely one of his best outfits. But I also think like the elaborateness of this brush pass and like the choreography of it was was like quite impressive. And it like comes back to something that we were talking about earlier. Like we don't get a lot of these like fun loving family friendly events. And like this also wasn't a fun loving family friendly event for, for, for them, right? <laughs> the fun loving family event certainly goes in gloss this week, I believe. I believe Just so. so, so, so much. Like they're not going to let us miss all of the somewhat overt, but nonetheless, I think intriguing symbolism in this episode. And this goes from the beginning on down, right? So Elizabeth is pulling away in the woods, comes across. What does she find? Oh, it's a mother deer and her two fawns. Gee, I wonder what that's symbolizing. She almost runs them over and kills them. Gee, I wonder what she's worried about. To we get this very like kind of happy-go-lucky family friend, uh, like soundtrack as of beautiful overhead shots of bucolic driving as Philip and Elizabeth come back from, yeah. uh, from wherever Elizabeth was hiding. We have the, we have itself the carnival, right? This is fun for the whole family, yeah, but exactly. in fact, there's all this shit that is happening. There was the telescope that we talked about, like all- so, so much family fun symbolism with also some darkness hidden within as well. Well, I was just going to say that all of it is like functioning as this veneer over this like really troubled and troubling set of circumstances. Right. The, the least of which is not the fact that Elizabeth literally almost died X amount of months ago. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) You know, lest we forget the birthday party, right, too, that you mentioned earlier. But then we get not even just in the plot of the episode itself, like the murder of Leanne and Emmett and Mm -hmm. Amelia um, and all the other violence that we see in this episode. But even some of the symbolism gets shaded into darker directions as well, right? We get, there's this fortune teller, and that's funny about, like, to have spies and fortune tellers and (laughs) deciphering coded messages and what's going to happen in the future and all of that. And then perhaps the most obvious of all of them is that the Jenningses, Danielle, did you know that their house is like a haunted house, that it's scary, that they're constantly in danger? Because if you didn't, they will literally take us through a haunted house with people jumping out in creepy as fuck masks. Just in case you yourself were not on edge while watching this, let's just add a haunted house into <laughs> a into this episode, into a show about spying, like smoke and mirrors and whatnot. Like I, yep. it, it's a it's a little too heavy handed. I'll just say it. Oh, a hundred percent too heavy handed, and yet no notes. Exactly. No notes. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, descend into the cave where maybe yes. we have a couple of notes. Wait a second. I have one more important gloss note. Okay. And I know I shouted out Philip's outfit, but in general, the Matthew Reese, i.e. Philip uh, glow up has begun. Like his outfits generally are better in this episode than in previous episodes, not just his best outfit. The hair, they let it look a little bit better. Uh, here in the first episode, so Philip Jennings' glow up is in is is on the upswing. I have a controversial opinion. 
Oh, I'm ready for this. I don't think that Matthew Reese is that attractive. That's fine. I also am not sure that there was a glow up. <laughs> but, okay, that that's the more controversial thing. But again, as I've said a couple of times in this episode, my entire experience was really impacted by the gruesome, like violence stuff. So I I wonder if like I wasn't paying attention in a way that could appreciate a glow up. So like, let's check back in next episode. Let's, <laughs> we'll, we'll do a glow up check in. Glow, glow, glow up check in. I can't wait. All right, Danielle, we're going to the cave. What's happening in the cave? Well, we are bringing back one of our like not so usually used mechanisms through which to engage uh, each other in the cave to which to engage political theory. John, you are going to random number generate um, a theorist for us to connect to this episode. Sure am. And Danielle, the no random number generator has randomly generated number 29. And on our list, number 29 is the one and only Carol Pateman, who I teach every semester, actually. I want to I wanna turn Carol Pateman over to you to get us going. Yeah, well, I was just going to say that, like, I really wanted some feminism in this episode. This episode really called, called for feminism for me. So I'm I'm pumped that, like, that we've gotten some feminism from the random number generator. It feels like stars are aligning there. Um, Thank you, pretty random app on my phone, which is indeed pretty. Like, it's a wordplay, and it's true. It is a nice thing to look at. More aesthetically pleasing than the gruesome murders in this episode. Very true. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, and I think, like, something something worth thinking about, right, is that Pateman, one of the, the things that Pateman is most famous for is this is this idea of the sexual contract and this idea that the sexual contract is actually what what underwrites and makes possible the social contract or, or we can even expand it to think about like political contracts. And I think like we do see that in this episode, the interplay of sex and politics of like of sex and power, like does really weave its way through the episode. It does. And so we see that I think most vividly uh, and more ways than one vividly actually in this joint spy mission that Elizabeth and Philip and Leanne and Emmett are carrying out in which Leanne and Elizabeth have picked up like a kind of nerdy, like schlubby, nebbishy, like guy who's doing engineering for Lockheed Martin on some secret Air Force project, (laughs) presumably this is tied to to ABM. And they pick him up and initiate a threesome with him at what point we have uh we have philip and we have emmett barging in as air force security to interrupt this right so there's for pateman you know the the part of the function of the sexual contract that underwrites the social contract is to ensure that dominant men have access to sexual access and violent access to the bodies of women. Yeah. Um, And and so that's, you know, that is identified and taken advantage of in some ways in this episode. Yeah. And I would, I would just add to that and say like, it's not only that they have access to the bodies of women, but it's that the bodies of women enable them to have like access to positions yes. of power, right? Which is like also to political order itself. Exactly. Which is also what we see. Like yeah. we see both of those things at play in that like very short scene where they barge in. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I don't know. I feel like Pateman is a good, 
Pavement's good company in this cave. Yeah, and I think this is, I want to emphasize for the audience that we actually mostly don't cheat on this segment. Yeah. Like, Pavement was legitimately the first theorist that came up from the random number yeah, generator. Yeah, we, we did not edit out another theorist that we tried to talk about. And also, yes. we didn't have any ideas of what theorists to talk about beyond my, like, I would like to talk about feminism. And then we got some feminism, which I feel good we about. We sure did. We sure did. All right, Danielle. I think... I think we did it. I was I, worried we were going to have another two-hour uh, <laughs> jaunt as we did with our friend John Keller, but we managed to make it only semi-unruly instead of entirely unruly. I think, like, the right amount of unruly. Sure. Well, sure. Listen. I, I don't know if our listeners agree, but I, I hope they do. You keep us on track, and I'm an agent of chaos, and so that's, I think, <laughs> like, how we how we roll. Do you want to hear the, like, uh, workshop but rejected bad joke I was going to use to intro this episode? Uh, yes. It was going to be something to the effect of, like, thank thank God or the God of mischief that we're back <laughs> on the Americans. Oh, I'm so sad you didn't say that. <laughs> That's all right. We got it here at the end. It's like, it's, it's, it, uh, uh, it's an Easter egg for the real heads out there. Oh my God. John, you, the Marvel inception really has oh, begun. No, I want to resist this. I guess I'm going to have to be less generous next time. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, you can tune into our feed on Tuesdays where we'll be dropping episodes where we are doing a bit of a deep dive into, um, the Disney Plus TV show Loki for now, and then Moon Knight after that. And those will drop on Tuesdays. And the next time you will get an Americans episode in our feed will be next Thursday, um, where we will be bringing you season two, episode two, Cardinal. Um, so stay tuned for that. Do you think that's about... SUNY Plattsburgh, where I teach Danielle. So our mascot is the Cardinals. Do you think that there's any, like, Adirondack Coast content in this episode? What's your prediction? I feel angry that Adirondack Coast is a thing. Well, there's a longer story. Is there's, there's competing names as to whether to call this the Adirondack Coast or the North Country. The North Country is a slightly more colonial term. So I see, I see, I see. Yeah. Um, yeah. I listen, John. I hope that it is about SUNY Plattsburgh. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give a non-specific spoiler that there is, if not Plattsburgh, there is general region related content at some point in the Americans. I believe yeah. it. I believe it. They're probably going to use Prospect Park for Ithaca, and it's fine, (laughs) but I believe it. (laughs) All right. All right. Um, Thank you, producer Amy, as as always, always, who I think will be back soon-ish, potentially. Uh, Next couple of episodes. Yeah. I love it. And uh, thanks for joining us on Not Quite Great Books. A TV podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. It was created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning. 
and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball. <laughs> we got a Larry the Cat sighting. Larry, you're just going to keep meowing if...